Good morning. Oh, I never, I, like, in Sunday school, you're dismissed. I, I never try to be the person when they come up and they say, oh, you really didn't do a good enough job with, like, saying good morning. But I think you all know you definitely failed there. Let's try again. Good morning. Okay, okay. So, um, you know, this morning I woke up early. I even woke up before my alarm clock went off, and, and, which I don't usually do because I like to stay up to like 1 or 2 in the morning. And this morning I set my alarm clock for 7, and, and I got up before 7 o'clock, and then something hit me. It's like I, I looked out the window. I thought, man, I should go sit on the back deck, and I should like read over my, my, my uh, message for this morning and like, this is the thought that came to my head. And like, drink some coffee. I've never had a sip of coffee in my life. But for some reason, there was like this, like, maybe it's like what mature people do. I don't know. I just, and then I was like, well, I could have a Coke. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying not to have as much Coca-Cola. And that's usually how I start my day, so I skipped it. But, but like, at least I had the desire to, like, grow up a little bit, you know? It's a, it's a little funny, the things that, that we remember or that kind of get stuck in our head as we grow up. You know, like, you'll think back and you'll have, like, a specific memory that, 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 that you can go back to and remember. And my brothers will say to me stuff like, hey, do you remember the time? And I'll be like, not even a clue. My wife was saying, remember yesterday? And I'd be like, not even a clue. But, but there's certain things that do get, get stuck inside of our, our, our brains, and, and, and we remember them. And, and I, I remember this time when I was in first grade, and I got in trouble. And it was before school started, and I went to the school, and, and, and it was an older school, and... It must have been like three or four stories, and they had a, a lower basement level too. And 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 they in front of the and because it had a lower level, you had the these big window wells because they were trying to get as much light in there as they could, right? And usually they had those grates over the window well, so kids wouldn't jump down into them and stuff. And and one day I don't know how this happened, but I remember there not being a grate there. And everybody was just jumping into the window well and then just jumping out. And I was like, oh, man, that looks fun. So I did this. And so I jump into the window well. I wasn't the only person. There was a, a bunch of people doing it. But as I was getting out, I got caught. And I remember getting in trouble. And, it's, and, and I'm sharing this story with you. Because, well, let me tell you something else first. So I get in trouble, and it was towards the end of the school year. And, and I remember this very clearly. I still remember leaves being in the window well. You know, I, rem I remember looking through the window into the classroom, and, and, and I, I can remember quite a bit of it. And then I remember what my punishment was. My punishment was it was the end of the school year, and we were going to do a field trip to somebody's house who lived near the school. And I think it was like the second, like a good portion of the day, we were going to go to this big yard and we were going to play outdoor games and have all these activities. And then we were going to eat lunch there. And my punishment was I got to sit in a chair on a porch that was screened in and I got to look out the window while everybody else played almost the whole day. 
And on top of that, when it was time for lunch and everybody came in to eat, I got to sit in the chair and watch everybody go through the line and get their food first. And, and, and I'm telling you this because, maybe, you know, it was probably the first time that I can remember the merit system being applied. You know what I mean? You do something good, and, and, and you're praised for it. You do something that's not what, what's expected of you, and, and, and you get in trouble. And, and this is probably one of the first times in my life that I, at least I can remember getting in trouble outside of my home. And, and, and we use the merit system. We do, right? I mean, it, it is how we raise our kids. It's how we go through life. I mean, if we have certain actions in one moment, they're called good. And if we have actions that don't reflect what is expected of us, they're, they're called bad. And sometimes, and this happens, and this is, I'm going to upset some people maybe this morning. That's actually what I would call bad parenting. It's when you call your kids good and when you call your kids bad. But that would be for another day, or maybe I'll get into a little bit more as we go on. But because those things stick. You do one thing wrong, and you're bad, right? And you remember that, and it sticks. And it's kind of like with this, and, and I'm not saying I didn't justify it, but, but we go through life on this whole merit system. You're in school, you're in uh, fifth grade. Maya, you're in fifth. Addison, you're in fourth. What's expected of you guys? C's, D's, A's, A's or B's are expected. And, and if you got A's and B's on your report card, parents would say what? Good job, right? And then we move on a little bit. And so what I'm saying there is if we get good grades, we make our parents happy, our teachers proud. And when we don't, we kind of frustrate them. Then we go to work. I mean, think about this. We go to work and... and and this is common sense, and I get this, okay? I get this. But uh, if you go to work and you work hard, what happens? You get raises. You get promotions. It's the way it should be. I mean, I live by that. Like, my grandpa instilled a work ethic in me that, like, if you want to eat, if you want anything, then you go get a job. You know, you work, and I love it. And, and, um, but, you know, when you call in sick or you slack off or you come to work late, um, we don't get raises, we don't get promotions, and oftentimes you see people hopping around from job to job because of it. And I think for the most part that we can agree that we live in a merit-based society, culture, country. If you were to ask me, I'd say Iowa's even more so. I mean, you guys are hardworking people. You know, I was talking to Gary about this this morning. You know, for how many years do you say? 20, how many? For 14 years, he's worked 60 hours a week. You know what I mean? Uh, we live in a place where we understand that if you work hard, you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Merit-based. It's not bad, is it? I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's good. But when is merit-based not good? When, it, when does the merit-based system fail us? Anybody? Yeah. For our salvation, for our Christianity. When, when, when we, when. And because from the time that we're little, 
And as we're growing up and we always hear good job, bad job, good job, bad job, good job, bad it is it is ingrained inside of us, isn't it? So then when we talk about our relationship with, with God the Father and Jesus Christ, it is very hard for us to move away from the merit-based system. It's so ingrained in who we are, we can't shake that. But what do you mean the merit-based system doesn't apply when we're talking about who our, our relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, what I mean when I say that is that we cannot apply that theology to our relationship with God because it will leave us empty, it will leave us frustrated, it will leave us desperate and alone. It does not work. So what we're going to do is we're going to read from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24, and we're going to look at what Paul talks about, and we're going to see how there's not a system of a merit-based system in, in his relationship with God the Father, because we need to hear this regularly. This is, this is what Christianity is about. They're not a merit-based system, because the merit-based system condemns us, and Jesus steps in and saves us. And, and, and what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to look at that right now. So let's pray. And then we'll go on. We'll read the text. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the ways that you work. And may you use this text to speak to our hearts, our minds, our souls for us to understand your wonderful grace and love. As, as I get ready to go on, I said that it was bad parenting to use that the good child, bad child. I want to explain that real quick. I don't like people calling my kids good kids. Because if I tell them they're good kids, there's always this expectation that they're good kids. And when they fail, they get really like down on themselves. And I have seed in them all the time. So I want my kids to grow up knowing they're forgiven kids. You see the difference? They're not good kids. They're forgiven kids. There's moments when they're great. And there's moments when not so much. Okay? But I love them, and I don't want them to think the expectation is to be good. It is to be forgiven. So now that I got that out of the way, because I felt like I could have lost you there, we're going to move on. Okay, let's read from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. <clears throat> it is up there. I'm going to read with you guys. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard in my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set, set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cyprus, who we call Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia, 
I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. This is a, a weird text, and, and if, you, if, if you do your, the, the homework and you start to read what's going on behind the text, you get a really great picture of what grace is, and that's what we're going to be looking at here. Because the reason why Paul wrote these things to these people is because he was being attacked. Paul went there, and I said a little bit this a couple weeks ago, but Paul went there, and, and he works with the Galatians. He starts a church um, which he kind of mentions, you know, I have a ministry to the Gentiles. God called me to go and preach the word. And, and he's doing this. And what happens is he planted this church, and then he leaves. And then these people come in behind him, and they start to kind of really tear Paul apart. Hey, you know, what Paul was saying to you isn't completely accurate. He doesn't know everything he was talking about. And... Um, and we're here to kind of fill in the gaps. And that's what they were doing. They were going behind Paul, and they were trying to distort the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul starts out here talking about the gospel that he received. Paul tells us that he didn't go looking for Jesus to be his Savior. And that's one of the things I really want us to notice here. You know, like, he wasn't one of the disciples. He didn't learn the gospel from Peter or any of the other disciples. I think sometimes, because I think Paul wrote like 14 books in the New Testament. I forget how many it is. It's a bunch of them, okay? And because of that, don't we usually, let me speak for myself. Since Paul wrote 14 books of the Bible, he must have been pretty awesome. He must have been one of those good guys who grew up in the synagogues and, and, and loving God and doing the right thing always and loving other people, right? And, 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 and then what Paul starts to say, and that's not true, so what Paul says is, hey, I didn't go out looking for Jesus. I wasn't one of the disciples. I didn't hear about, about Jesus because I was sitting on the hillside while he's feeding the 5,000. And in that moment, I came to like him. That's not what happened with, with him at all. Matter of fact, when we look at who Paul was, and I'm, I'm, we're just going to point to this because it's, it's easier to look at somebody else's mistakes than to look at our own, right? So let's look at how Paul really messed up repeatedly, okay? And in Acts chapter 7, verse 57 and 58, it says this, um, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's actually a few more verses. That. There was this guy named Stephen, and Stephen is telling people who were kind of like Paul, who were people of the Jewish faith, hey, our forefathers, our ancestors always talked about this coming Messiah, this, this, this Savior that's going to come, and this Savior that's going to come, it is Jesus, and you guys persecuted him. And when Saul and the other people heard this, they picked up rocks, they dragged Stephen out of town, and they beat him to death with rocks. That is Saul. That is we call Saul and Paul, okay? Saul before he comes to know Christ, Paul afterwards. So I want you to get a different picture of the person that you think Paul might be, okay? What is the picture you have of Paul right now? Rock-throwing murderer, okay? 
And, and, and I know it sounds so harsh because he teaches us so much in the scriptures. And I'm going to take it one more step further. I don't even want you to think of him as a rock-throwing murderer. I want you to think about how painful and long it would take to throw rocks at somebody until they died. Okay? Maybe if you got a good headshot, you knock them out. But the rest of those are hurting, okay? This is, this is not good stuff, okay? Acts 8, it says this, And Saul approved his execution. And there arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of, of Judea and Samaria, and it says this, some devout men came and buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered the house and entered houses, house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So, so far we got a picture of a rock-throwing murderer in, 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 in Saul, right? Going door-to-door, -door, pulling people out because of their beliefs. Does this sound like a guy who's waiting to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Okay. Then we get to Acts chapter 9, and, and when you read this, it's, it, 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 the text, it's, it's titled by, by us. It wasn't part of God's word. We just kind of put like a little title. We separated so we can know what chapters things are, but it says, but Paul, still breathing threats and murderous accusations against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that he can go and find anybody who is praising Jesus and he can bring harm to them. He gets this letter, he gets permission to go out and seek these people out, and here's what he does. He's on his way to go and do this, and, and as he's on his way, there's this bright light, and it blinds him, and he falls to his feet. And he hears this voice and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And this is Paul's first encounter with Jesus. And I want to be honest with you guys. And this is part of the reason why I love Christianity so much. Answer this question. Was Paul out to hear God's word or destroy God's word? So here you have a guy who was out to destroy God's word. And what is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ trying to do? Have a relationship with this man. Think about that. How many of you try to have a relationship with your neighbor who's just plain rude to you. Not trying to destroy you, not trying to drag you out of your house. Just maybe like parks his car in front of your house and annoys you. The dog comes in your yard or the cat goes in your garage or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Don't tell me I'm the only one like that. Oh my. This guy, I'm going to say it, was horrible, horrible. And he is, he is tormenting the church. He is destroying it, is what it says. That, that's what that his heart's desire. 
And then Jesus miraculously interacts with him. Is this not the story of our lives? Man, I feel like that's the story of my life. But before I go on with that, I want to say something. I, 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 no, I'm going to say it. I went from being high one day, not wanting to be around any Christians, to being preached to about who Jesus Christ is the next day and sitting there and being like, I want that. And it shows us, this text shows us that God, through the work of Jesus Christ, is, is the initiator of our relationship. He is the pursuer of our relationships. Even in the midst of our mistakes and our failures and our shame and our guilt and the biggest mistakes of our lives, he's the pursuer and the initiator of all grace. For me, there is great comfort in this. There's actually two great comforts in this for me. First, the first great comfort is that Jesus, like I just said, is the initiator and chases after those who don't believe to, or, or to, um, to put it another way, he is the initiator, the initiator and the person who chases those who merits are deemed despicable, which is all of us, okay? This is where the merit system falls apart. Because I do not deserve that which Jesus Christ does for me. I deserve completely the opposite. And we talk about this. There's an acronym for, for grace. What is it? Yes. God's riches at Christ's expense. Notice how in there, when we talk about grace, that which we get from Jesus Christ, when it says God's riches at Christ's expense, it doesn't say God's riches because Brandon is awesome. Two problems with that. It doesn't fit the acronym, and it's not true. Right? No, I'm awesome in other ways. Don't you hear that the wrong way? But... He, I think he said, God's, Dad's not awesome? No, I am, dude. Relax. But, you know, what's that? I'm good at making pancakes. So, you know, I, before I knew who Jesus Christ was, was a bad person. Jesus chases me down and saves my soul. I, after I come to a faith in Jesus Christ, continue to be a bad person. And you're like, whoa, you're not that bad. No, we have the Ten Commandments. God gave them to us. I can give you a list of all the ones I broke just yesterday. I am still in need of a Savior. Just because I, I came, just because Jesus Christ revealed to me his his. Forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace does not mean I, I got this gift and now I'm good to go the rest of my life. 
He continues to give it to me, and there's a great comfort in that. I have a, uh, the, this is going to lead to the second great comfort, but I have a brother who still lives in the suburbs of Chicago in Aurora, Illinois, and, um, and my brother's in a bowling league. So every Sunday night he goes bowling, and it's, it's a large bowling alley. I mean, just, I mean, it's probably like 70 lanes. I don't know, you know, and so you have, maybe it's even more than that, I don't know. It's just super big, and, and so on Sunday nights they have these bowling leagues, and, and every lane's full, the place is packed, and, and I, I, I promise you it seems like every six months my brother calls me and says, hey, guess who I ran into? And I'll be like, I don't know. And then he'll say the person, and I'll be like, I don't remember that person. And and they'll be like, and he'll, he'll say, oh, but they remember you. And I'll be like, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah, I told them you were a pastor. They laughed. And, and, and I tell you that because it leads us to the second great comfort in that, that not only does Jesus Christ love us and redeem us, but then he goes on to use us, and that's what he does with Paul here as well. You know, Paul doesn't just like, hey, now that you're, it's not like God says, and it, to Paul, like, now that you're a believer, you're a second-class believer, and you get to sit in a chair in the porch and watch through the screen window, right? He doesn't say that, hey, now that you're a believer, you get to watch them do stuff because you screwed up quite a bit. So you sit here, you, you watch them. I'm not really going to use you. You're not good enough, but I'm going to at least let you watch and be, you know, on the periphery. No. And he doesn't say to him, hey, you get to eat second. No. What, what he actually, and this is, this is what we do as humans. I mean, we do this. Let me prove it to you. In the story in Acts chapter 9, when, when Saul gets blinded, God says, go into this, the town and I'll send somebody there who's going to help you and heal you, right? That person's name was what? Anyone know? Ananias? And, 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 and God speaks to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to my servant Saul and I want you to, to heal his eyes. And Ananias says, this is funny. Ananias says this to God. But don't you know he's the one going around and persecuting the church? Like, like as if God doesn't know that. It's like, hey, I know you're all knowing and pretty good at stuff, but I'm going to fill you around. What this Paul guy's actually doing? You might have missed with this one thing, and, and, and this is like one of my favorite lines. And God says this to Ananias. Ananias, Go. Paul is my chosen instrument to bring the word to the Gentiles. So God doesn't just redeem us, he uses us. And that's the second great comfort I find in all this. I mean, that God still wants to use us, those, those who he has redeemed, those of us who hear his, his initiation and choose, chasing and pursuing of us, we hear it and we repent. But see, I want to go back to the beginning when I talked about the merit-based theology, you know. If I am good, then God will love me. Or if, it's a, or if I am good, then I'm good enough for God. If that's your theology, you're going to end up being very, like I said, depressed because God doesn't use good people. God redeems the broken. God heals. God saves. God takes us and he, and he turns us into um, forgiven saints. And I don't think we even always remember that or know that. We, we go back to remembering, and this is what I said two weeks ago. 
as, as, a, as a group, we need to identify more with our Savior and not with our sinfulness. So when I say, hey, my name's Brandon, I'm a forgiven person. I don't say, hey, my name's Brandon, I'm pretty good. Or I'm pretty bad. Or I'm an adulterer. Or I'm an envious person. That's not who I relate with. That's not who I am. Who I am is who I am in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it's amazing how God uses us, the body of Christ, to further his kingdom. You know, I, I took, a, I, took like, I think it was three days last week or maybe four days. Um, and I went to Florida. And I went to Florida to visit uh, a guy who I call him Pastor Brian. He's not a pastor anymore, at least not in a church. He does some stuff. He, he has a different type of job now. He works for a hospital, and he, and he does provide spiritual care for, like, all of these non-believers who are doctors and nurses and also patients, too. But he has a really weird job now. It's, it's pretty cool. But I went and visited him last week, and, and it's, it's, it's awesome to me because I was, I was, a, I was a horrible person. When, when, when I came to faith in Jesus, the process of sanctification was like starting at the very bottom, okay? And the stuff that, I mean, this guy, he had seen me like get in fist fights. He had, I mean, I would skip school, go to his house and lie to him. He'd be like, don't you have school today? And I'd be like, no, man, it's a early release. Or I'd have some story I would tell him. He'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's great. Let's go grab some lunch. And then we'd go out for lunch. I would... I would go to youth group and make it my goal to make girls cry. Like, how many girls can I get made cry today? We once went on a trip to Colorado, and I said, before we get there, I'll make seven girls cry. We're in the parking lot, and we're sitting there, and this girl had some acne on her face or something. And I said, you want me to go inside and get you a, a cool rag? And she's like, well, for what? And I said, you got some heat rash on your face. I mean, I was a jerk. And this guy mentored me and loved me, and cared for me, and then my mom went to prison, and my dad left us, and then he let me come over to his house like every single day, and he bought me clothes, and he fed me, and, and I tell you this because of the comforting fact that some, that I, I didn't know this, but that Jesus would use me to, to work with youth or to work with people um, who just need to hear the gospel message. And, and, and when, when, he, when God does this, he isn't talking about our old life. He's talking about who we are in our new life. Paul talks about, in verse 14, he talks about his old life. I was advancing in Judaism. I was destroying my contemporaries and how, how to act in the traditions of the fathers, of our forefathers. He says, I was doing my own thing. I was being noticed by people in the community. I lived by the law, by the traditions. I was protecting those ways when I was going after these other people. And in verse 14 and verse 19, it's all about Paul. And then you look at verses 15 and 16 through 23. There's some other verses in there too, but here's what it says. But 
verse 15 in, the, in, the, in our passage right now of Acts, it says, but when God, and I want to say something to you, so when it says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, I want you to hear the first three words there, but when God, not when I figured out I was a knucklehead, that never happens. There's never a moment in the middle of all my knuckleheadness that I thought, oh, I need this Jesus. It's because I'm still doing stuff wrong. It's almost like the expression when people say, oh, you got to dig yourself out of the hole. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're saying that I, I dug the hole myself, and as I'm digging it deeper, I somehow have to get out of it. While I'm continuing to sin and making the hole deeper, I am somehow going to become good and right and figure out how to stop digging the hole deeper. It doesn't make any sense. I need someone to, to pull me out of the hole. And so it says, so when we say, man, how, how did you come to faith? Man, God pursued me. God initiated me. Not man, not me. And then it goes on and says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, hear that, that God has been pursuing you and had an idea for you and he's had a plan for you when you were in your mother's womb. We're not here by accident. God had a plan for me. God is the one who set me apart long before my little feet hit the ground. Verse 15, again it says, And he called me by his grace. Not because I was good. Not because of anything I had done, which I talked about a little bit earlier. Say something with me. Repeat, re repeat this with me, okay? By his grace. Not my works. By his grace. Not my merit. By his grace. Not my doing. If we remember that, if we live in that, we are able to give it to other people. We, we pass on who Christ is and what he's done for us. Verse 23 and verse 24 I like because of the story I told you about with uh, my brother going to the bowling alley. It says, they, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. The man who formerly persecuted us is now the one preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. This is the life of the redeemed. I want you today to... to Reflect shortly on who you were before Jesus' saving grace. I want you to reflect on who you have been even inside of his saving grace, that you're still a person in need of that grace. And I want us to rejoice in the fact of knowing that Jesus Christ has poured himself out for us, that he desires to have a relationship with us.
Amen?